This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Once you learn how to access the silence, you will find that you desire to be in that spiritual state more and more. Valeria interviews Robin Chodak. She is the author of three must-have connections for inner peace. Robin left her job after 20 years as a computer software systems analysis following the suicide of her husband Steve in 2005. In the midst of grief, she started a spiritual journey of self-discovery, which ultimately led to her transformation. After the suicide, she started to write. At first, it was personal letters to Steve. It helped her stay connected, and at the same time, it was therapeutic. She also began to write stories about grief, which are published in various grief and suicide journals. In 2017, she published... Be Gentle With Me, I'm Grieving, which won a Book Excellence Award and also published Moving to Excellence, a Pathway to Transformation After Grief. Grief continued to enter Robin's life. On September 28, 2019, she lost her beloved husband, Dr. Gerald Chodak, unexpectedly in their home. It was another sudden death which caused grief trauma. It led her to publish a third book that she had written three years prior regarding inner peace. Three must-have connections for inner peace. Robin's expertise is in coaching clients, speaking, writing books, and creating online grief courses. Meet Robin Chodak at robinchodak.com. Here is the interview with Robin Chodak. In your own words, who is Robin Shodak? Robin Shodak is a woman on a journey, a constant journey of living through moments of joy and pain. And we live in this place of duality, always experiencing the two. And for me, particularly, my journey has been filled with many, many tragedies and losses. And because of that, it has allowed me to move through this place of transforming myself and becoming better than I could be because of everything that I have gone through. When you speak of joy, do you relate joy to happiness? Do they have the same meaning to you? To me, 
I feel joy is something that is inside of you. It's always there, but it's, it's moments that you feel it to a greater degree. In happiness, I believe it's a wonderful thing, but I feel that people relate happiness to just certain experiences in the moment. I feel that joy is always something that is within us. It's always there. It's it's part of our existence. We have this joy within us just as much as we have the pain within us. We have both in us. They they come out at different times. What are the ways that we can access joy or let joy access us? Well, I think that joy, I mean, I'm just smiling. You probably can you could probably feel the yeah. energy of my yeah. smile right yeah. and and how the voice changes okay because joy as i said it comes from within and so when we're experiencing these emotions within us they happen within our bodies and in our thoughts and so this is why the smile forms on my face and the energy in my voice changes because i'm feeling joy because i'm thinking this beautiful thought of my granddaughter when she was born. Mm-hmm. So the birth of a child is is joyful. It's like you said, it comes from within. And uh, there's so many ways to, to experience joy. For me, just being in nature, and as we're speaking now, you know, my, my house is very peaceful. It's a very peaceful energy in it. And I'm looking out and I see beautiful green trees. And, and see the beauty of the trees. I'm I'm watching the leaves move by the the wind. The wind is rustling through the trees, and it's just for me those kind of experiences bring me joy. Yes, and they are so simple too. Yes, yes. And when you speak of pain, do you connect pain to suffering? I know it has been said before by so many people that pain is different than suffering. Do you separate them as well? Well, the way I would describe them is because I've there is pain that one feels in the body. And that comes, the pain is expressed from a suffering. And a suffering is a loss, is, is one way, okay? When we feel this extreme loss, this is suffering. And then the suffering manifests into a physical pain. And I can give you an example of this. I have had many losses in my life. In 2005, when I lost my husband to suicide, I was the one to find him. And I fell into a state of shock and fell to the ground. And my body just shuddered and it felt so much pain physically in my body, in my stomach, in my heart, the physical pain. And that pain came from the suffering and the severing of the loss of my husband and that separation. So we experience emotional pain, I would say, or suffering and then that manifests into a physical pain for many, for many people. So I don't know if that's, you know, answered your question, but that's how I view it. Yeah, so, it does. Okay. Okay. 
Would you say that the biggest form of suffering comes from attachment? You mentioned losing. Losing has to do with uh, belonging, feeling this attachment to something or someone. Yes, absolutely. That is in line with the the Buddhist philosophy. This is what the one of the four noble truths are. We were we are going to suffer, and I do believe that this is part of our existence. And as we exist, it's it's about finding our way through the suffering and learning the pathway to begin to make the choices that we have less suffering in our life. But it is part of existence and, and we we will suffer. And it has to do with attachments. Yes. The more that we are attached to something or someone, if that is taken from us, we are going to feel a greater degree of that suffering. When you love, when you love to such an intense degree, which is a wonderful thing, it's a beautiful thing to experience this intense love with another human soul. And when that is severed, yes, you will feel, you will feel that suffering and that is normal. It's a normal part of existence. And it is because of the attachments that we have. But these are normal attachments that we we have as human beings. I'm wondering if it is possible to love unconditionally. Could that somehow ease the pain and the suffering when we are finally detached from whatever we love or whoever we love? Do you think it's possible to love without attachment? That's really my question. I don't think, I think we will always, because we are physical beings and we are in physical bodies, I think that we will always love with a degree of an attachment because that's what brings two souls together. <laughs> True. <laughs> you are attaching your, your souls and your bodies and you're together. So you do have that degree of attachment and we all strive for unconditional love. That's what we want to do. But again, we are human. And when we're in the physical, we, we, we strive for all these things until we exit from this realm, then will we be whole and perfect. But I, I say that, yeah, that's part of the journey. We want to love our, you know, our children, our spouses, our friends unconditionally, but when we're human and we get up, you know, we get mad, but it doesn't mean we don't love them. It's a very strong concept. And I don't know if as humans, we're not perfect. So we can't do anything perfectly, but it's our journey to be trying to do so. <laughs> so even the attempt of trying to love without attachment is not a natural one in a way. Would right. you say it, that? I would say, yeah, I, I yes, it's not natural because we want to be the reason I speak of it that way is because we want to, I know the Buddhist, it's all about non-attachment. And I love the Buddhist philosophy and I, I live by many of those things. And the reason that is, is because the suffering comes from the attachment. But this is a, not a negative thing to be attached to another human soul. And that's what I talk about. It's one of the three connections in my book. Mm, yeah. This is the way we're wired. We are wired to have human connection and human attachment. Now, the degree that you do that, when it becomes destructive or 
narcissistic in ways like that, that's not healthy. But yes, that's how you have relationships. You have them because of you are attaching to aspects of the human soul. Does that make sense? <laughs> Is it possible to prepare for situations like this that you have been through to lose somebody we love? Can we somehow prepare for it? That's a very, very good question. And as a, this is what I, you know, what I do and I teach And my very first book was called Be Gentle With Me, I'm Grieving. And, and that was after I said losing, you know, my spouse to suicide. And that's basically what helped change me on my journey was going through that tragedy. And I believe that there are ways to prepare, especially when, if, there, if you have illness or sickness involved, you know that the person's, you know, nearing the end of their journey. So in your mind, in your logic mind, you understand it. But when the loss occurs, you're still going to have that feeling of that separation and then that emotional suffering. But what I can say and what I teach and I help my clients with is that you can prepare in a way where you're going to take care of yourself after and you're not going to engage in self-sabotaging behaviors or destructive behaviors. And I know this because that's what I did after Steve died. And I don't know if you know this, Valeria, but it is quite impeccable that we're doing this interview now in September because this September is the month where I've had all of my losses. September 3rd, I lost my sister. She's been gone 33 years. And then I lost my husband, Steve, September 15th. And I just recently lost my my recent husband, I, he just died one year ago on September 28th, another sudden loss. I had no warning, nothing. I woke up and I found him on the couch and he was gone. So I had to experience another, another tragedy and it's coming up the end of September. And I had said to myself in preparation, so this is right for your question. You said, do you prepare? And I knew I always know that September is a hard month and, you know, I, I do things in memory. I, I honor them. I honor myself. And this is the first year with my husband, Jerry, being gone. And this is honoring him because he was the one that always, you know, he was such a, a cheerleader for me. And he would, he would want me to be doing this interview and putting a message of hope out into the universe because that is the message that I want to give to other people who are suffering and in pain that, yeah, you know, we have lost people we love, but guess what? We still have pages of our story left. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it when you're in so emotional pain, but I know it's possible because I've been through it. And I think people, when we're authentic and we can just tell our stories and be honest, then people, they can relate to, relate to that because they're in those same places. So yes, so the way I've prepared is I, I had my whole entire month 
from the beginning of September and I all the way to the end. And, and, and interestingly as well, today is Rosh Hashanah. And my husband was Jewish, is Jewish and a doctor. And so today, you know, he would be, we would be celebrating Rosh Hashanah, which means it's the, it's the beginning of the new year, beginning of the new year and new hope. And you want to see new blessings. And basically this is what we need in our world today. It's so it's impeccable that this interview is happening in September, but to me, it's not by chance. Because this is how spirit works. <laughs> Would you say that gratitude is one of the uh, powerful practice during grief? Yes, absolutely, Valeria, absolutely. And, and I know that you've had um, your own, you know, grief as well and just different things in your life because you wrote your book on inner peace too. And, and yes, absolutely. It's, it's what really, really, it's like the fire in you that keeps you going when you can find those little moments of gratitude, you know, be it like, like a birth or a puppy or whatever it, it is. And I feel that I have been so fortunate to have two men in my life that have loved me so much. But sadly, yes, I, I'm still a young woman and I feel somewhat young. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sound young. <laughs> I feel young, but I didn't get to have them, either one of them in my life for very long. And I don't know the reason why, but this is another part of our journey. We, we must accept the things. We accept things the way they are. But as I, as I reflect on these things, I can say to myself, wow, I have been so fortunate to have that kind of love. So that makes me grateful. You know, this is what I'm saying. You have the pain, but then you have the joy. But it's that gratitude. It's that gratitude that really keeps me going. And I, I, I would step on the line. I don't think I'm stepping on the line to say that is true for you too. <laughs> what do you think the purpose of the human experience is? Purpose of the human experience? Well, according to the Buddhists, it's to end the suffering. <laughs> Go and end the suffering. And for me, I think it's just part of Everyday moments, like I said earlier, we get to experience everyday moments of joy and pain. We live in a dualistic, you know, in it's a world, and so we're always going to see see the good and the bad. But I think as we travel on this physical realm, that part of being here is to express love, kindness, and just do the best that we can. Because everybody is on a different place, on a different path in their journey. And it's up to us to just always be, what I like to say is always be respectful and always be kind and do everything that we can do with a loving heart. Oh, I love that answer. <laughs> know that our days are numbered. So we only get so many days to, to do this. <laughs> what is the meaning of death, of physical death to you? today? Oh, physical death. It's, it's just a separation from the body. I don't believe that we, that our spirits die. I, I believe that the energy always exists. Well, we know this from science as well. We know that, you know, energy cannot die. It just gets transformed. And I am 
a big believer of this because I, I get a lot of signs and symbols from my deceased loved ones and higher powers. They come from, I, I get a lot of things that happen to me with numbers. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, I see. After, after my husband Steve died, I saw 1111. I wrote a whole blog about this. I wrote about this in my book because it's very powerful. And these, these are vibrations. This is the vibrations that the, the non-physical realm is trying to communicate with us. There's so much more going on in the universe that we don't know because we are so focused on the physical. There is an entire non-physical that exists. And so I don't believe that we ever die. Yes, our bodies, the physical bodies die but not our spirits and not our souls. They exist. And I feel like I've had my own personal experiences with those that have passed on. In your book, you also talk about the number three. That's the beginning of the book. And you say three is the number of the divine. This is fascinating about numerology. It has been said that the spirit or God, the divine, communicates with us through symbols and yeah, not language really. Talk to me for a moment about the number three and also the meaning of the numbers 1111. Oh yes, like, like I said, they, 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 I was not awakened to them. Things we, we awaken to things in our life when we're ready. We have to be open and receptive. That's what I always say. We have to be open and receptive. And after Steve died, I, I couldn't listen to any music because he was a musician and played the guitar. And one day I heard a Beatles song that he loved and I felt this presence in the room and it, I looked around. I thought someone was in the room and there wasn't. And then I noticed the clock. It said 1111. It didn't mean anything to me at the time. But guess what? It happened again. And again, I kept seeing 11-11 when the Beatles came on. And then I started to see it every day. So I started to inquire and research. And I said, something is happening. And I could just feel this energy around me. And so every day since 2005, I have seen 11-11 at least once on the clock every single day, if not more than once every day. So I know, I know that was Steve's energy around me every single day. And then it was so interesting. So I meet my next husband, Jerry, and I tell him what I'm experiencing. And guess what? He starts to see 1111, which was kind of interesting because, you know, he's a doctor and he's really into not so much into what I think he thought I was a little airy fairy. Okay. To be honest. <laughs> But it's, it's, it is about how people watch you live. This It's about being authentic. And so here, here it comes from a scientific background and he's a doctor, but he's watching me and he's seeing how I live and he's seeing what's happening. And it was amazing. He started seeing it. And so then we decided we were going to get married. We got married on 11, 11, 11. Yeah. And so then after he suddenly passed, which was a shock and, 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 and such a, emotional pain and suffering for me, I thought I didn't see 11-11 right away. And I got really, I was just like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. You know, I felt like I was just so in such a bad state. 
I, I just wasn't understanding it. Then I started to see it. But then what was happening? I was seeing 333. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Like, I see, this is the thing we I need to caution myself about that, you know, we have these expectations just because Steve showed up at 1111. Why did I assume? We, I've learned not to make assumptions and keep my logical mind out of it and just allow spirit because then I was thinking, well, why isn't 1111 showing up? And then what happened is the three, three, threes. And that's actually how my book, The Three Must Have Connections, came to be because I had written that book three years prior and I never published it. And after Jerry died, I was really struggling. And I heard this voice because I hear voices. You know, I hear these, they, they just come. These, these, I like to use the word voice because it, when you talk about spiritual things, it's very hard to put into words yes. sometimes. There's no words, right. but you know it's coming. So it's, it's like these thoughts that you know they're not yours. So I heard this. It said, go look for this book that you wrote. So I went and I looked for the book and oh my gosh, I, it was just amazing because the book, I, I put this in, actually in the afterword because I went to my computer to look for the book. Jerry had died in the morning and I found the book on my computer, but was saved that night. How did that book get saved? It was strange. So I, I ended up reading the book all the way through to try to remember what I wrote because it's probably the same with you when you write yeah. and sit down and you just let spirit. It's like you're channeling, okay? And I always say I'm downloading, it's downloading. So I can remember what I wrote three years ago and I read the whole book cover to cover and I said, okay, this is good. I hit the save button. Guess what? I saved it at 3.33 on my computer and I said, oh my gosh, this is a sign. And... I knew that it was meant to, you know, be published and get out into the universe. And this is what I, I mean. It's like if once we become aware, that's that connection. We need that connection to our higher self to be able to listen, listen for when that voice wants to speak to us. So we need to listen. And, and these signs, they happen all the time. But if we're not aware of them, we miss, we miss all on these wonderful opportunities or, or what we, we, we could be putting out into the universe. So for me, oh my gosh, I see, I wake up at 3.30 in the morning. Why do I do it? Not every day, but I click on my clock. It's 3.33. It's just, it's unbelievable. So now this vibration of the threes, which is the divine, it's, it's the deceased loved ones are with you. It's meaning that you're protected. It's, it's, saying you're on this spiritual journey, stay on your path. I mean, so it's all great meanings. And I'm just, this is what's keeping me going now because obviously I'm missing the love of my life and I'm now creating a whole new identity again. after losing two husbands. But these are the types of things that keep me moving forward. It's that connection, that connection to spirit, a connection to myself, to, to, to just keep checking in. I have to check in with myself every day. I think when we're in any kind of trauma or tragedy, we need to check in and say, okay, how am I doing? How am I feeling? 
am, am I doing the right things for myself? I don't want to self-sabotage. I don't want to be hurting anybody, hurting myself. And it's important to just always check in. And this is the journey. This is the journey when you're in the, in the place of the suffering. But we don't always stay in these places. We have wonderful moments in our lives where we travel, we go on vacation, we have our children, and life is good, right? <laughs> life is beautiful if we get to understand these principles that you talk about, the connection with the spirit. If we can remain connected, then we can see the beauty and the joy and not just the opposite, because life, it is this dance of the opposites. And speaking of dance, I'd love to talk to you about the tango dancing. <laughs> That's something else that you engaged or you still engage in. But before that, let me ask you, you mentioned the silence. Would you say that the best way to access, to remain connected to the divine, to God, to source, whatever name you want to give to that higher self, is silence or perhaps dancing too? Oh, yes. I, I, I would say Absolutely. I, I think silence is what you need for, for listening, but you can listen when you dance. But I think when I like to dance, it's, it's an expression of, of the joyful moment, moments and just being grateful, being grateful that you are connected to source. You are connected to, to the earth. You are connected to another human being when you're mm -hmm. dancing tango. It's a beautiful experience. But yes, silence, any, you can connect in any way, but you have to be in a receptive mode if you want to hear, right? So you have to be able to let go of all the thoughts, that monkey mind, we call it. And however you can do it, you can do it when you're dancing. You can, I do it when I ride my bike. Most of my books have been written when I'm riding my bike. What is the meaning of freedom to you, Robin, today? What is to be free? Free to me is to be able to make choices, choices that are going to be choices made out of love, not selfishly. And sometimes people don't think they have choice. They say, oh, I don't have choice to do this or do that. But what you have a choice about is about how you respond. Because we have injustices happen to us all the time, or they can happen, and you we, any of us, have a choice on how we're going to respond to those. So it's basically how we are reacting and how we are letting something resonate with us. Because to me, I don't want something to get me like so upset or so that it's just keeping me from really being who I am and, and, and getting into a stuck state. And that's what often happens with people that are grieving and they've lost, they, they stay, they stay in that stuck state. They don't really live their life to their fullest. So to me, freedom is making the ability to make the choices for your highest and best good. So that's how I would say it. Your highest and best good, making choices. That's free. And we have it. We sometimes think we don't have it, but we do. It's, a, it's how we want to react and respond to any experience in our life. For a moment, talk to me about the um, AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Oh, yes, yes. That is a wonderful, wonderful organization. I became a facilitator 
So yeah. it's basically for those who have lost loved ones to suicide. It's uh, support groups, support groups. I don't do that now. I did that, you know, 15 years ago, but it's a wonderful organization. They also do a lot of education regarding mental health because it's sadly the suicide rates are going up. It's uh, I can't say enough about the organization. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful organization. And I do believe that when you have had you know, traumatic death, suicide, plane crashes, car wrecks, things like that. It, it's very important for for those left behind to find like-minded people. I do talk about that in my book too. You know, those are people that can that can understand you. They they're compassionate. They have empathy, and we need to be with people like that at different times in our lives. Absolutely. From all the healing methods that you have tried, what is the most effective method of all? That's a very good question. And I think that they, they're all wonderful. They're tools. We have a toolbox. That's why there's so many modalities out there. There's so many. There's the Reiki. There's the chakra healing. There's the dance. There's the hypnosis, there's there's just, I can go on and on and on. You know, e- EFT, there's so many. And the reason there are so many is because people resonate with them at different times. And we are all so unique. And what works for me, Valeria, isn't always going to be something that works for you. Although I know dance for both of us. Oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. I told, I mean, dancing. I dance around in my house. I sit <laughs> on I'm alone. Right. It's 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 such a beautiful expression of the soul. And so music, and, and it's interesting because you have music for different moods. So sometimes, you know, I want to have if I'm cooking, I might want a little smooth jazz, or if I if I'm cleaning, I might want some rock and roll or some Beatles. And you know, you have music for your moods. And so I think with when we're going through the process of healing and through grief, we're going to need a different tool at a different time. But the beauty of it is there's so many out there. It's like a, it's like a playground. <laughs> yeah, true. For you, what was the most effective method? Did you find an effective one or they are all effective at different times? Yeah, they are all effective at different times, but I would say, yes, absolutely. I would say it was the tango Mm -hmm. because I felt like the tango breathed life back into me. It was amazing dance. It was the dance of joy, the dance of living again. So absolutely it was the tango. But ironically, now it's too painful. I just lost my husband a year ago and we had that passion. So it's interesting that at one point it was what I needed. It Now it's not what I need at the moment. And maybe in the future it will be. But right now, no, it's not. So it's quite interesting because, yes, I, I think back at my first very hard loss that, yes, it was the tango. Yes, it was beautiful. The dance was amazing. And I've heard so many people say dancing 
dancing is what helped them get their life back. So I'm definitely a big proponent of that. But like I said, there are so many, so many ways. It makes me think about this idea that life is really the moment, the experience of what's happening now, and nothing really is a destination. It's not a place to be. Yes, yes. Now is where, and, and especially, especially when one is in in grief. But but I think it's it's what it's these tragedies bring us to the moment of the now. And when we live in the now, it's it's the place that we can let go of all of our fears, especially in grief. Because when you when you lost someone you love, you you can't think initially. You cannot think about the past because the past is wrapped up in all these wonderful memories that you no longer have and you had. And then when you think about the future, you think, oh my gosh, how am I going to make it without my husband? And so for me, the, that's the other thing that just keeps me where I am and, and, and connected. It's because I'm staying in the now. And that's where the most beautiful moments are. They're just in this now because this is all we have. True. This is all we have. And we don't know what we're going to get the next moment. So we need to make the, the, the most of every single moment. I think that's what we, as spiritual beings, I think that's what we strive for. But I think that it really becomes very, very real when you are suffering. And that's when you really can. But then I do believe that the more that you practice that, that the easier it becomes. And it becomes a way of life because you so appreciate it and you're so grateful for each moment. <laughs> because you mentioned meditation and mindfulness and also pray in your book. Is there a difference between practicing meditation and praying to you? Not to me so much. I mean, at one point, yes, I, I, I do believe there was a difference. I think that as we we evolve as we have our experiences, as we change, we begin to change our belief systems. And I used to think that praying was just begging God and constantly, you know, bargaining, saying, okay, I'm sorry. And if I do this, I, I'm asking you to do this. <laughs> True. <laughs> it, was, it was more a bargaining kind of thing. And yeah. now... No, I think I spend a lot of time in prayer, meaning that when I'm having these thoughts of connection to source, to God, to the universe, to one, to all, to everything, and you can say to nothing, to this whole vastness of things, you, you're in a state of prayer and meditation. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I did look at prayer differently in the past, but no, I, I don't view it that way anymore. It's more of a gratitude. It's more of a, and I believe prayer is more thought. It's like a thought. You're connecting to, to God, to source with our thoughts. It's like connecting all the time. And to me, that's a form of prayer so to speak. I like the way you talk about beliefs too in your book. And um, you say many people want to have a source connection, but don't believe they are worthy of it. I love what you wrote in your book. You say your inner spirit is the power that knows itself. It is the only power that is self-knowing. So this is an amazing phrase. And then you talk about emotions and you list the negative emotions and positive emotions as a form of exercise that we can practice and try to um, distinguish or recognize them. 
you talk about mistakes and pain, this section, I love what you said too. You said your life is filled with lessons and not mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then connection to souls we have been talking about. But there's a section that you talk about the universal law of reflection. I never heard about this before. Would you like to talk to me for a moment about the universal law of reflection? Yes, yes. It's because we hear a lot, a lot about the law of attraction. Yeah. Yeah. But but the law of reflection it's it's is a mirror. We sometimes we're drawn to almost the opposite because we often resist and we react. And so sometimes we have to have these experiences to help us know ourselves better. So we would find something, someone, some experience that we have been resisting and are maybe not liking. And they are showing up to us. And this is basically what the law of reflection is. So it's reflecting back to us. It's like a mirror. It's the things that we don't want to often see in ourselves. True. So it's it's actually opposite of the law of attraction. Because the law of attraction is, you know, if you just, you know, want to shorten it, you could say like attracts like. Yeah. So it's almost the opposite. Mm-hmm. And people talk about that a lot, mm-hmm. but those things, or I guess another way to talk about it, you've heard people talk about the shadows, our shadows. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very similar to that. It's another, another method, another awareness that we can have as we travel this journey and all the people that we meet. And the other thing I, I always like to say is that every person we meet is a holy encounter. Mm-hmm. It sometimes really puts people off because they think, oh, my gosh, you know, my ex-husband, that wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Somebody. Right, exactly. But no, it is because because it is almost like the law of reflection. I mean, Mm -hmm. they were there to help us, you know, and and vice versa. So every every soul is a beautiful soul and it has a purpose. And so when we can meet another soul, it's a beautiful thing. We just maybe it might seem like it's negative at the moment. But in retrospect, it's really not. It's how can it be? How how can it be if we are all one and we're connected yeah. and, and our, our paths brought us together, right? <laughs> seeing life this way, it's, in other words, it's seeing God everywhere. So I have a few more questions for you, just a few of them. But would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Oh, gee, no. I mean, it's kind of strange because it's so funny how... You know, books, it's amazing. Sometimes mm-hmm. I pick my own book mm-hmm. and I and I say, wow. But it is, it's, I'm sure this happens to you too. You can't sit at your computer and just force it. Mm, right, it doesn't right. happen that way. It just, it just comes. And so, you know, I write, I love to write. I journal. I started journaling after Steve died in 2005. I wrote letters to him every single day and I still journal. It's a way to just really be honest with ourselves and let our let spirit speak. And so I, I I do love to write. I think it's a wonderful way to just just help us become more free. Okay. But no, I that's interesting. I don't there's not really a passage I would need to read because I would need something different at any moment. And and I think I might have said this in my book that I do believe that books are sacred, words are sacred and Books have ended up on my shelf. I have no idea where they came from, but that was the book I needed. And so my desire 
out in the reason I write books is to put them out into the universe. And my desire is that they get into the hands of someone that really can resonate with them and they, they can help them transform on their journey. They'll see something maybe they have never seen before. And I try to write them in just very easy, digestible ways. I mean, they're just so, so digestible, you know, I have to use big fancy words and I don't have to, you know, write 300 pages trying to, you know, get this message that's in me. This is just stuff. It's all in us. You know, we all have it. We all have stuff in us. (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh, Sacred stuff. Yeah. Amazing things to say. How do you define success these days, Robin? What is to be successful? To be successful, I would say, is just to be content with who you are and where you are in the moment, because you can never get anything better unless you're happy where you are. Yeah, I don't think it comes from, you know, everybody has a different degree of what they want in life and they need to define it, you know, and, but some people, they, I I think I wrote about this as well too, that we try to find things outside ourselves. Like we think we need a better job, we need a bigger home or whatever it is, but that's not really going to make us happy or joyful. It might make you feel successful, but that's up to the, each individual to d- decide that. And for me, I'm just right now, I mean, I'm just happy just being on my journey and listening to spirit and allowing things to happen the way they're supposed to happen and flow the, the way they're supposed to flow without resistance. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No, I don't. That's a good question as well. All good questions, Valeria. That's why you do this. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're very good at it. Great, great interviews. Because I am a bereavement coach and because I have lost people I love and I know what it's like to be left without a husband and left suddenly with no warnings from someone that has died, I would say, yes, you need to, one needs to have everything in place, wills, be it wills, any last wishes, things like that. And because I've had these losses, I've already done that. So I've had these conversations. I told my daughter that I wanted to be cremated. I said, I want my ashes mixed with both of my husbands. So, you know, I think that's important. I think that we should have these things in place. So when we're gone, those left behind don't have to try to figure it out for themselves and be angsting over it. So I think it's very important to have many things in order. You know, I think a lot of people say, I don't know, I'm just thinking that they say, oh, I want to take this trip. I want to do this. I want to do that. But you know what? I, at this stage in my life, I feel very blessed that I traveled. I had two wonderful husbands. I just, I feel very fortunate that I've experienced this love and I feel very fortunate where I am. I can't say that, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. I don't need anything. I just need to be, you know, right now, that's what I need to do. I just need to be. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Three things about life I know for sure. Well, I certainly know. Well, I've been talking about it all the time. There's pain, there's joy, and there is a very 
big non-physical realm that exists. This is exactly what we were talking about. But I know these things because how do I know them? Because I've experienced them. I would imagine many people could say the same, but because it's so prevalent in my life on a daily, on a, it's in my life, this is obvious. I, this is how I live. You know, I live with these moments of joy. I live with these moments of pain and I live very much connected to the non-physical. So yeah, this is, this is what I know. Thank you so much for this peaceful conversation. I love your wisdom. I love what you are representing, what you are aware of. Thank you so much, Robin. Oh, thank you, Valeria. This was this is a wonderful, flowing, beautiful, love-filled interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, joyful, right? <laughs> the heart's happy. One more question I have for you here. This is a technical one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? The easiest way to find me is you can just go to my website, www.robinchodak, that's my name, all one word, Robin, R-O-B-I-N, Chodak, C-H-O-D-A-K.com. And my books are on Amazon. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to find out there. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Valeria. Bye for now, Robin. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Robin Chodak and her work, please visit robinchodak.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.